Nice to see everybody out this morning. Shall we open our service in a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for a beautiful Sunday morning for this time of year. We thank you for this opportunity to gather around this <coughs> word, gather at the feet of Jesus, the greatest teacher of all times. And at this time of year, we remember how he came into this world in such a lowly way, probably lower than any of us as far as this world's thinking goes. But we know through this, the teachings of this word that when he comes again, this world will be in a very upset state. But he will come with power and great glory. We thank thee for this word. We thank thee for that knowledge and understanding that it gives us enlightenment, that it gives us, that we can find our way through this world that David calls the valley of the shadow of death. And that we don't have to fear any evil, as he says. For we know that if we have our hands in the hand of Jesus, thy son, we'll be in a good place. Watch over this service this morning. Be with our speaking brother. Give him an understanding of this word that that is needful for each of us, needful for he himself even, that we can find enlightenment and understanding to know how to deal with our troubles in life. Watch over all those that are gathered and worshiping in thy name this morning here and all over the world, wherever it may be. Watch over those that can't make it to services for one reason or another. Send thy servants unto them. Send thy word unto them. This uplifting and encouraging word that gives us strength to carry on. Watch over our nations. Watch over all the nations. Watch over Israel and the trouble they're having as we speak here this morning. Be with all those that believe, all those that will believe, as Jesus says. And just be with us. Send that Holy Spirit, that promise that where two or three are gathered in, in thy name, the name of thy Son, that he will be here with us and amongst us. Hear us now as we pray that most perfect prayer thy son Jesus taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and give us trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Shall we continue with hymn number one? Thank you. 
May we be greeted this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I know I've said and I've <clears throat> experienced it and heard people do it where it and this is maybe my words, I don't know that these are necessarily biblical words, but <clears throat> God has promised in his word that if we're willing to open our mouths, he will fill them. And I've said that lots of times in many situations we struggle to know what we should say to someone or speak in a certain situation. <clears throat> And I've made that statement that if there's nothing else that we could just share what God has done for us. And I guess part of me would like to do that, but I don't feel like I have the ability. I can't put it into words. But this little bit came to me, and this isn't the text that we will, God willing, look into, but I was sitting here, this thought came to me, and I will read a portion from the 11th chapter of Luke, I'll read, starting at the 5th verse through the 13th, it says, this is Christ, and he said, he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall Go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because he is of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I guess it's hard for me to explain. I'm sure all of us experience it. We have a battle daily with this flesh that we live with. And I have said it before. People say various things, and I've heard some that in my mind are extremely to the point of trivial, and not that there is anything trivial that God takes care in our life. He takes care of all things. But they said that 
and one pops in my mind, I guess, and and so long ago I don't have any clue where I heard it or who said it to me, but they had mentioned that they were late getting somewhere and they really felt that God was with them because the lights had been green as they were getting there. And it was very likely so. But I look at some of the things that God does with me. And I know my flesh. And I recognize the importance here of asking that he would give us that spirit. Because our abilities to do anything good is zero. And we can debate that because there's people who make no claim of God in their life and yet they do good things. And to me it gives a picture of what we look for in eternity. People who even claim have no claim of wanting God in their life and yet they do good things and I believe it is because God is gracious and his presence is still here in this world whether people want to accept that or not. And he can accomplish good in the most unbelievable places. And he can use things that we do by say our failures and accomplish good from them. We read about hell. It says that God turns his back on that. And I believe that it is a place where God's spirit is not there. His grace is not there. We look at how bad this world can be. God is still here. His grace is still present. And the power that that spirit has to overcome even my flesh. It's something that I don't know how to explain. But I would hope that all of us have experienced it. And that I am very sure that when we are facing troubles, when we are facing overwhelming situations when we are facing temptations the devil would very much want to come into there and encourage us to in some way try to deal with it on our own and would want to very much cover up this portion of scripture where Jesus explains very carefully that us being very human and evil we still know how to give good things to our children and to our friends And we're encouraged in the Bible even to do that for our enemies. We are called the children of God. Christ calls us his friends. And he points out here how much God desires to give us of his spirit. Because it is through that spirit that we can walk according to his will. It is through that spirit that we are able to 
even able to come here this morning. And I can say that it is very much through the power of that spirit that I am able to stand even here this morning. And I'm sure anybody who has stood here can relate to how empty we often feel and how we can, I can use many words. It, and now I'm leaning on my father-in-law's something that he said one time and it struck me as very true. He said this should be the easiest job in the world. We come here and speak what we're given by God about what someone else has done for us. And yet, because we carry this human nature, this flesh up here with us, it seems to be an overwhelming task. And part of it is because we understand as Christians the value that God puts on every person in this world. We can't understand that. We have trouble dealing with ourselves, let alone anyone else, let alone however many billion people there are in this world. And it shows us the bigness, the omnipotence of God. We deal with our small world around us. And we can, or I can, become overwhelmed thinking that, well, does he even see me? He does. In spite of the fact that we are one little person on a planet that is huge compared to us and yet is tiny compared to the solar system and compared to the universe, it would be, almost seems impossible to find. And yet God created all that for each of us individually to be part of. Because he loves us. And he desires to give us of that spirit that makes us a living soul that doesn't have to worry about how bad hell might be because our eyes are focused and our hearts are assured that we are going to heaven. Not because we deserve it. Not because we have managed to walk so perfectly and managed to avoid so many pitfalls. But because we have a loving and gracious heavenly Father. We're encouraged to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. He came to this world to die for that the sin that we are and the sin that we have fallen into can be forgiven. Because that is what stands between God and man. And it isn't just certain ones, it isn't just Adam and Eve because they fell into sin. Without what Christ has done, none of us have a hope. One of the things I struggle with when I come up here is it feels like I repeat the same things over and over again. And we understand how failing we 
are. Adam and Eve were given one rule and they failed miserably. And by that, all of mankind has had been, it says, born in sin, conceived in sin. We are sinful before we are born because we are this human flesh. We see, or I see there, the difference between God and man. If I made something and instantly it went off track and wanted to continue off track, I'd say, boom, let's start again. We have a God that is so loving and gracious and merciful. He knew that, but he arranged that we could be saved before he even made us. That just, as I was sitting here, and I guess marveling that I felt like I had the ability to walk up here and speak. And it certainly isn't of me. But it's the power of God in that spirit. And it just struck me how important it is. And what a blessing it is that we have that ability to pray and ask God, if for nothing else, that he would give us of his spirit. That he would give us hearts attentive to that spirit. And that he would give us confidence and faith to trust in that spirit. We don't walk somebody else's life. We can't walk somebody else's life. We have to walk ours, and God knows that. And he has promised to give us what we need. We can look at our lives. We can be raised in the same family. We might even be twins. And yet, we have different lives. We have different problems. God knows that. He deals with each of us individually. And yes, we are very much encouraged, admonished, to bear each other's burdens, to help one another, to care for one another. But we can't do that even correctly on our own. We can do it through the leading of that spirit. For a text, I'll read a portion found in the Gospel of Matthew. And I was tempted to take the last two verses of the, the ninth chapter of Mark. But reading them, I felt like I would have to go through many of the verses before to be able to put them into the context that they are in in here. I will read the 49th and 50th verse and then I will read beginning at the 
33rd verse and read through them all again. Reading in Jesus' name. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and said unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and the servant of all. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such, excuse me, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us, and we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not. For there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name, and can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life, maimed and having two hands, to go into and go into hell, into the fire that shall never sorry, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. Amen. We see at the beginning of this text the human nature, the humanness of the apostles. And it is something that I think all of us to some degree struggle with. And maybe it isn't exactly that we would want to be the most important or the greatest, but we would like to feel like we are noticed and that we are of importance. And there's other places in the Bible where there's a similar question. And Jesus tells him that in the kingdom of God, things are different than how they are in the world. That if we are wanting to be the greatest, and it isn't here that... Um, says, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, the servant of all. I don't believe that 
Jesus is saying that that's what he's going to make them or how he's going to make them. But he's telling us that we are to be servants to all. That should be our goal, that we would want to serve others in whatever means it makes. In in one place it says that we would put others before ourselves. We, We look around in the world and we see how different that teaching is than what is being taught in the world, especially in the time we live. There's that teaching that you're number one, that you are the most important, that you should be catered to, and if it's not instead, it's implied through how people act, especially towards their children. And we get further in our text, and it talks about children. And we look at how it happens in society around us, and we see, if we say, what an offense that is to a child. As parents, yes, especially when they're little and as they grow, we need to serve them. They're perhaps the most demanding bosses that we'll ever have in our entire life. If we are striving to be parents. And anybody who's had children, I'm sure, can understand that statement and relate to it. The little little ones, they don't care whether mom hasn't had any sleep all night, they're hungry and they're going to demand to be fed. They need to be changed. It's how it is. And if we're going to be good, or as it says, the greatest parents, we'll do that. But still, we need to have wisdom and understanding, and that can come from the guidance of the Spirit when we need to say no to certain things because just catering to their every whim is not helpful to them. It becomes offensive. And it's, as with so many things in life, we say we walk the straight and narrow way and we can put that in many contexts. We walk along and everyone maybe is slightly in a different place. But it's so easy that doing one thing, if we do it too much, we get on the other side. If we do something else too much, we go to the left side. And it can be doing the same thing, but it's doing too much or too little. And if we try to reason that out with our own thinking and understanding, it can be an overwhelming thing. We need to ask for the guidance of God. Ask for wisdom. In the beginning of Proverbs, it goes many chapters speaking about wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And that comes first. The beginning of it is the fear of God. And the fear of God, it says, is to hate evil. It's the desire to be perfect in front of God. And we're not going to be able to do that. Christ came and did that for us. Yes, we fail. We're encouraged to understand and to know. And if we're struggling to believe it, that that altar of mercy is available and we can come with our failures 
and hear that they're forgiven. Why do we want to hear it? Because it says faith cometh by hearing. We're given faith to believe that and trust it and know it to be so. Because we can ask. And if we are asked by someone, we have the backing of the word of God. We are told we are ambassadors. We are the priests of God. We can make that proclamation because we have experienced it also. That in the name and blood of Christ, those sins are washed away. Into the sea of grace to be remembered no more. It says, and he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. We know and understand and teach, (coughs) excuse me, that every person is born a living soul. That spirit of God comes there and is present there, I would say, at conception. And some of those things, how all that happens, it's above my pay grade. It's beyond our understanding. It's a miracle of God. We as people, we can't begin to create life. We as individuals and as parents, we get to, if I say participate in it, But God and Christ here in these statements, first he's talking about being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then he takes and sets a child there as an example of what is greatest. And I believe the reason that is, is because they have to be cared for. They have to put their trust in their parents to survive. And it puts great onus on us as parents to do what is right by them. But it also tells us, I believe it says that unless you become as a little child, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. That we need to be and realize that we have no ability. We are completely vulnerable without the love of God caring for us. Without that spirit guiding us and carrying us, we would be lost. And yet we see also, and I don't know, maybe it was even the last time that I spoke that I mentioned it, about the ones that on Judgment Day, (coughs) they ask, God says, come ye blessed of the Father, that you did these things to me. And they said, when did we do these to you? And it was giving a cup of, even a cup of water. He said, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren. Here he, he reiterates along the same thing, that when we care for these children, we are caring for Christ and we are caring for God. We are doing these things to God. And if we could remember this statement, I think, many times 
when we are at our wits end dealing with a little one, it would be perhaps to pause and to consider how we deal with them. Are we correcting them just because we are mad or are we correcting them because we care for them? David in the one psalm, he, he, I don't know if I can turn to it here. I'd like to be able to read it. David says, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. David isn't asking that God wouldn't chasten him because we know from reading that the Bible tells us that if we're the children of God, we're going to have chastisement because God will chastise who he loves. And if we're not being chastened or corrected, God doesn't love us. And that's a hard statement even to make because we understand that God loves mankind. But if we ignore his chastening, pretty soon it becomes easier to ignore it. God corrects us because he loves us. May it be the same with us for our little ones. That we would correct them because we love them and we want them to be the best that they can be. And because the Bible tells us that when we care for them, we are caring for God himself because his spirit is present in them. And it isn't just them, it's every living soul, every living Christian. The Spirit of God is there. I think it puts onus on how we're to deal with one another. We're to do it in love, in care, as if they are more important than us. John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, sorry, little ones that believe in me, it was better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Here's a a portion that, if I say, it it almost talks about two things, but in my mind this is, but it ties them together, so it's difficult to, to make a break there in a way. John, and we see it in the world around us. We see it in our lives. We look at even the Christian world. And there's many different denominations and there's reasons that there is. And some of them are probably very valid and some of them are probably extremely trivial. And I think we need to be careful 
how we deal with those things. We have to remember that, as it says here, that nobody can do some miracle in the name of Christ and speak lightly of him. They, they had forbidden this person because they weren't one of the disciples. I think we need to be careful doing those things. It says, for he that is not against us is on our part. We know, looking at the world around us, that there is many that completely want to deny that there's a God. They want to turn their back on God, and there's some that want to, if I say actively, campaign against God. If there's somebody who acknowledges even that there is a God... And even if they make very little claim or almost none of being a Christian, but they recognize that there is a greater good and that there is um, value in walking even a moral life. We know that's true. If we have neighbors that are moral and upright people, it's an honest, it's something to be thankful for. It makes life easier. And I don't care who we are, we have to live here in this world till we die. And there is enough problems in life without creating them by putting barriers between us and someone else. And I'm not saying that if there is something that is wrong or that does not line up with scripture that we can't, and I shouldn't say can't, but we need to stand for what is right and true. It's how it is. And it isn't even, I don't believe, that we need to make a big fuss about it. If we just quietly even stand for truth, and sometimes, and again, it comes to that listening to the Spirit of God. And that is our one of our greatest problems, is that we don't listen to that still, small voice. We want to ignore it. We want to reason things out ourselves. We can go around and around in our head instead of, as it says, be still and know that I am God. And that we would listen to that still small voice because there are times when it would be important that we would say something. That we would maybe say something even forcefully in a situation. And there's times where we just quietly stand for the truth. Do I know when that is? No, I don't. Do we fail at it? Yes, I can say from experience that I've, God at one point and one time revealed extremely clear to me where I had failed to say something when I should have. There again, thanks be to God that he is gracious and merciful. But the Spirit knows. And if we can listen to it, it will guide us unerringly. And we know we can't walk unerringly 
But I would hope it would be the desire of our heart to do that. This is quite a statement here. For whosoever will give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And yes, I believe that there is some merit in that in the natural sense. But I think this is even more and deeply speaking about spiritual matters. And if we are, as it says, thirsting to hear that word of God, if there's someone who will come and give us a drink of water, what a wonderful thing that is. It makes me think to that portion, I think it's just a couple chapters down. <clears throat> As Jesus sending his disciples, and I've spoke on this before, to go and prepare for the Last Supper. And he said, Go ye into the city, and there shall ye shall meet a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. So God, Jesus had told these two disciples to go look for this man. And he told him how to go and look for him. What they were looking for. They were looking for someone carrying a pitcher of water. We look at that in the spiritual sense. It's someone where that living water is there and visible in their life. That man, he didn't know anything about Jesus giving instructions for them to come and look for him. We, in many cases, I don't believe we have any idea who it is that God might put on their heart to look for what we have. And I don't think we need to worry about that. All we need to worry about is that we walk, as it says in Ephesians there, speaking about putting on the um, armor of God. And the one thing is it says, um, sorry, that your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. To me, when it's talking about our feet, it's talking about our walk here in this world and that they would be shod with the preparation for the gospel of peace. What is it that happens to a heart that prepares it to receive that gospel of peace? It's when we're humble and contrite. And I believe that's what it's telling us is that we should walk in a humble manner that that spirit of God, that that living water would show forth and be visible in our lives. So when God puts it on a heart to look for that, they would see and know what there they can go to be asked for a drink of it. And any of us who have walked or been somewhere where it's hot and dry or perhaps climbing a mountain or something and it's hot, we get thirsty. And how good it is to have a cup of cold water, or maybe many of them. If we turn that to the spiritual aspect of life, how often does it feel like there's a mountain ahead of us that we need to climb? And we feel wore out and thirsty. And if we see someone in that state, may we have the wisdom and the obedience to the Spirit to give them a glass of water 
that we would share with them that message of this word and that God cares for you still and always. And it says that he shall not lose his reward. If we go back to what I mentioned about those who were on the left hand there, and it says because you didn't do it to the least of these my children, you didn't do it to me. That's God speaking. It's because as Christians, that is what we are to do. We are to share the truth of this word with others. And especially our fellow brethren, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and the little ones. I hear people saying, I am so glad that I'm not a parent now. I'm so glad that I'm not growing up now because of what there is that they have to face in the world out there. And there's truth to that. But instead of just saying, and writing it off, let's instead look at that mountain that they are facing and be quick and willing to share this word. It's the most important thing that we can share with anybody, especially these little ones. We can give them food, we can give them water, but how much important that spiritual food and water. And as we read through the rest of this, we see the importance of that. It says that we, how important it is that we would not offend one of these little ones. And that, as I already mentioned, can come in many different ways. And if I would pray that I'm not saying this in such a way, because maybe it's just me, I can look at the value of those little children and look at my failures and it can feel like an overwhelming task to deal with them. It's not, because we have that spirit to guide us. Let us ask for it and turn to it and trust in it. Yes, they are so valuable that we would not want to offend them. But we have a God who treats us that way also. He's loving and gracious and merciful to our failures. Let us do that with them also. Because we care for them. And yes, we correct them. But because we love them and care for their undying souls. And their natural beings also. Then it goes into a portion here that I have read many times. And I don't know that I have great wisdom on it at all. But something came to me this morning as I read it. When I tie into those last verses. And it says, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell. And then it speaks there and it says it after each one of these three things. Basically, it's pointing that it's a bad place and you're going to be stuck there forever. That's the simple what it's saying. And it says that it's better... To go to heaven than there, even if you only have one hand. And then it says about your foot, and then about your eye, that if your eye offends you, and in my notes in the middle here, it puts a little number and sometimes can 
change how it's translated and sometimes I don't know how much to trust it, but it says, if it causes you to offend. So if your arm causes you to offend, get rid of it. It's better to not have that arm and make it to heaven. And it says that then about your leg. And to me, as it's going through these things, it's getting more important for us to even live here in this world. It's easier to get by without an arm than without a leg. And it's easier even in many ways to get by without a leg than without your eye. And we know how important those things are. But then I think it's these last two verses that even put that into context. It says, For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. We are going to have problems as we walk through this world. And it speaks in other places in the Bible about us being tempered with fire. And it speaks about us being refined by fire. And how there's the pot of silver and the refiner is watching it carefully to skim off the the impurities that show up when it's heated up to the point of melting. And I think about that. And then I think about the portion where it talks about the pruning of the grapes so that they would bring forth more fruit. And it doesn't say pruning, it says purging, which in my mind is a little harsher term. And I have to admit that my human flesh cringes at thinking about those things because I see how much of it it would be nice to have skimmed off and just deal with the purity of that spirit that's there. And yet, we don't have that privilege. As long as we live here, we're going to have our human nature. And yes, God puts it on our hearts. If there's something in our life that's a problem, let's listen. If He pricks our conscience about it. And let's be quick to deal with it or to ask for help from his spirit dealing with it. Because there's many things, they're just part of our being. And Paul in that one spot, he says he prayed three times that that thorn would be taken away. And I've heard people talk about it as a physical problem and some people talk about it as more of a spiritual thing. And my my just feeling is that it is something that he struggled with with his flesh dealing with his spiritual life. A weakness of the flesh. I don't think I can say quite confidently I think we all have it. It's a human condition. Yes, it is better If there's something that is causing us to fall into problems, causes us to offend, that we would get it out of our lives. It doesn't matter how important it may be to us, even down to if it's our eye. We are going to have 
things in life that refine us. It says that we are to crucify our flesh daily. It isn't that we just put it into subjection, sort of. It's got to be crucified, or it's going to cause us problems. It says, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt, to me, and I won't go into it, but it's two, two elements make up it. And to me, it speaks of the righteous judgment of God. Here it says, every sacrifice will be salted. What is the only sacrifice that we can bring to the altar, the only sacrifice that we can bring to God? It is what Christ has done. And what did Christ do? He came and lived here, died, paid for my sins, and in the righteous judgment of God was deemed to be holy and perfect and covered my sin and yours and said, that we can stand there and offer the sacrifice that Christ put and be covered by his righteousness. What greater gift is there that mankind can have? Nothing. And what greater gift can we offer to anybody? Nothing. Than that they could have for their own being, for their own person. The righteousness of perfection, which is Christ. In spite of our imperfection, in spite of our failures, our struggles, it is there. God offered it. He sent Christ. It is recorded for us in the Bible of his coming. We're in the time of year where we commemorate it and celebrate that coming. And if we understand that, that that is the greatest gift that there is for mankind, is it any wonder that the world wants to turn it in any other direction but that? And yes, it can be frustrating, but it's very understandable. It's the whole goal of the devil is to make whatever God would give to man and offer to us look bad. And any example that God would want to use to portray him, the devil wants to do everything to make it look bad or to turn the focus away from it. It's, if we read the Christmas story, it's the fulfillment of a promise. And we know as Christians what it means, what that promise was about. It's pretty difficult to make that into something bad. So I believe the devil takes and wants to put our focus on something else. Just being happy. Celebrating with family. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's the whole focus, how empty. Let us celebrate with family that Christ came for us. God fulfilled his promise for me. And for you. And for all of mankind. In this last verse. Salt is good. And if we look at it as the righteousness of God. It is good. 
It is a good thing. There is nothing bad about it. <clears throat> Our human nature might cringe by it or in front of it, but it is still good. It says, wherewith, <clears throat> sorry, but if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith will ye season it? That's an interesting statement because salt is salt is salt. And there's another place where it talks about if it's lost its saltiness, just it's thrown out into the dung heap. And I've struggled to understand that because salt is salty. It doesn't matter. It just is. But we look, and now I'm going into very natural things, but we look in the world around us and I haven't experienced this that I'm going to tell, but I've heard from people who I trust very much that it's true. There is so much salt in the world, in our diet in North America, in everything, that we lose taste for it. And this person had went on a salt-free diet for a period of time, and they said that even then if they ate Cheerios, they tasted salty to them. And I think what this is telling us is that as Christians there is a time when it's not right to go and proclaim judgment on others. It's not our place. Jesus said he didn't even come to judge when he came here. He came to save. That's our job too, is to bring that message of salvation. And yes, in Colossians it tells us that our speech would be gracious, seasoned with salt. But it says gracious first, that we would speak graciously to others and speak about the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. But we would explain that it is because we have a holy and righteous God who demands perfection of us. That's why we need to be partakers of that grace. That there is righteous judgment of God, but it isn't our job to just proclaim it to everyone always. It says, have salt in yourselves. Let's apply it to our own hearts first. Let's apply this word of God to me. And walk according to what it tells me. And then that others could see that. And we can explain that it is because of the grace of God that I am able to walk, as failing as it may be. Then it says, and have peace one with another. And we see the truth of what I just said. If we are constantly harping at someone, even if they're totally wrong. They might be completely in the wrong. But if we are constantly harping at that and admonishing them and calling them on the carpet, there is no peace there. And I don't think there's very many situations where someone is in the wrong that they don't already know it. And us just walking as a child of God, they will... Be, it will become clearer and clearer. And if that Spirit of God is with us, and I hate to admit this, but I know for myself, I can know that 
I'm in the wrong on something. I'll just put it that way. But if someone is trying to poke me back and, and knock me back, it's a lot easier to dig in my heels and say, take a flying leap than to be corrected. It's a struggle I have. I know that. It's not right. It's not good. It's how it is. And I don't know that any of us are much different. If someone's trying to force us to be right, it's a lot easier to just dig in and say, where you go? And it doesn't create peace. There was a portion in Romans that this... Um, my Bible um, reference to, and it's in the 12th chapter of Romans, and I'll read a little bit more than the, the verse. I'll read the verse first. It says, if it, be, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. There's that same thing. We're to live peaceably with others. I'll read back a few verses. It says, let love be without dissimulation. That means without putting putting conditions on it. <clears throat> Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them that persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In Jesus' name, Amen. Shall we humble our hearts and receive the benediction? May the Lord bless thee and keep thee. May the Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. On this day, um, I think Neil was the instigator of making me a liar here. I come here to do things, and there was stuff in the hall here, and, and so it would have been difficult because the little ones to have potluck, so I said, let's just cancel potluck. So that's when we cancel potluck. But then he had heard about it, and he came to it up. Anyway, that's what happens. So, so there's no potluck today. Um, is there anyone able to have Bible study on Thursday? Yes. Yes. So Bible study will be at Neil's at 7.30 Thursday evening. The other thing, last week we were talking about the Christmas Eve service. And now there's more people here, so we might have to pump it off another week. Christmas Eve is on a Sunday, and generally on Christmas Eve, we've had an evening service at the little church and it's just a nice thing. But because it's Sunday, we were, and with Christmas and all the goings on, 
we discussed whether we should just have a Sunday morning, Sunday morning service that day, and that's what kind of be, seemed to be the leaning of people, but we just said, let's bump it off of this week so we can think about it, so hopefully we did, so is that what people's feeling are, is we'll just have a regular service and carry on? Swim's nodding, feels nodding good for both. So we'll just have a Sunday, regular Sunday morning service on um, Christmas Eve. Yeah. Eve morning. Christmas Eve morning. Yeah. Okay. Should we close with two? <laughs> Thank you.